morning, everyone. Welcome to Cedar Valley Church. My name is John. And I'm Teresa. And we're here to get the service started this morning. All right, if this is your first time, a special welcome to you. We love to get to know you better, so please give a shout out at hello at cedarvalley.ca or just drop a comment here. Yeah, the best ways to stay informed about things we're doing here and in our community um, is following us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and you can also sign up for our uh, weekly email newsletter at cedarvalley.ca. Um, if you've been impacted by our online church service, uh, please hit that share button and invite your family and friends to join us for worship. Yeah, um, so a few things that are coming up that you should know about. Um, firstly, we want to thank you for all your ongoing support of all the work and ministry that we do at Cedar Valley Church. Um, yeah, through your prayers, your time, your service, and finances. Um, yeah, we believe that trusting God with our gifts and, and finances um, and supporting kingdom causes are an essential part of following Jesus. So thank you. Yes, thank you. It is easy to donate. Um, so if you're looking for ways to donate financially, please go to cedarvalley.ca slash give. Um, or if you're on campus this morning, uh, there are some tables set up at the entrance with information on how you can support the work here at Cedar Valley Church. Yeah, uh, another thing we're doing this summer, Summer Games Nights. Um, Wednesdays, 7 to 8.30, just at our church property. Um, there's crafts, there's skateboarding, there's usually hockey, there's a bunch of games for your kids, and there's a lot of um, cribbage and crokinole, if that's more your thing. Um, but yeah, it's a really good place and time to just um, come and have conversations and connect. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. So hopefully we can see you there. Yes, and hopefully we can see you as well on Saturday, August 14th for Workday. Uh, we're looking for volunteers who can help us do some indoor and outdoor work or anything to cross off the maintenance crew list. Um, and that will be from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Saturday, August 7th. We're trying to get our church ready for reopening. Yeah, uh, awesome. Well, I will lead us in a time of prayer for right now. Dear God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for those that are gathered here this morning, and I thank you that we're able to do online stuff. Um, it's really cool, and we've come a long ways. So, yeah, I pray that we can continue your ministry with the ways you've guided us to do so. Um, I also pray for those that may be grieving now, Lord, um, those that have lost loved ones during um, a difficult time. Um, yeah, just put your, your presence and your healing hand on them. And yeah, I pray um, that any rain that we might be getting, that it um, might continue, Lord. Um, yeah, and I pray that like how the plants will grow and heal from that, I pray that we can also grow and heal um, with your help. And I pray that um, all this... COVID stuff would um, hopefully continue um, down a bit of a decline until we can all hopefully all be gathered here um, like we're used to um, so we can connect and uh, praise you in the best way we know how so yeah thank you for being with us and amen amen all right thank you John for that prayer yeah. um, let's get the service started here uh, we're going to lead you in a worship uh, time of worship our worship team has pre-recorded their singing and so we're, we like to invite you to join us there'll be lyrics on the screen and join us however you feel comfortable yeah um, after that we've got a special lesson just for the kids 
We also try to get some uh, interactive materials um, to you each week for both kids and parents to engage in activities and conversations um, about faith together. So uh, you can email Pastor Doug if you're interested in something like that. Good. And after that, we'll continue with our summer series on evangelism um, and sharing that gospel. Uh, and Pastor Rob will be bringing us a message on that. Uh, and then we'll wrap up uh, with an interactive dialogue where we'll take the message from the morning and see how we could apply it in our lives this week. Yeah. Um, before we get into all that, if you're watching live, you can head over to the comment section of Facebook or YouTube. Um, I mentioned the weather. It's been kind of muggy and gross, but hopefully... I think we're set for a little bit of rain. So what's your favorite rainy day activity? Okay, so favorite day, favorite rainy day activity. Okay, so I have lots, um, but one of my favorite things I like to do is to read. I like to curl up um, with, a, with a good beverage um, and a book. Um, and the last book that I read is called, or, yeah, is called The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klein. Um, it's a lighthearted book. Uh, on love and family and what what a home is and so if you're looking for a recommendation that's what I would recommend um, and that's uh, you can add that to your reading list um, but what about you John um, what do you want to do on a rainy day oh, man there's a lot of movies and TVs um, TV shows um, beverage is always really good getting those getting those fall vibes um, <laughs> we're upcoming on that so that's good um, but yeah I've been watching a show called Schmigadoon recently um, <laughs> it's like a show that is a musical and also makes fun of musicals uh, yeah it's pretty fun but okay, sounds yeah. cool anyways um, yeah we're in for a good morning so thanks Cedar Valley bye-bye alone my hope is found he is my life my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fear
every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you.
Hey Cedar Valley kids, it is great to be with you again today and I have something for you here. I've done a few kind of little tricks some of the other Sundays, but I think I've got a really cool one here for you. Now, here's a question for you. How can you turn this, it's just a ribbon, nothing special about it, um, how can you turn this into this? <laughs> it's possible, um, it's not magic, but if you listen very carefully, I'm going to tell you how. Because actually, uh, my son Josh, he's big now, but when he was just a young guy, I think he was about nine years old, he actually turned this into that. Pretty cool. So anyways, we were visiting our cousins in Alberta, Grand Prairie, and they took us to a rodeo. Awesome, cool. And there were bucking broncos and big bulls and there was roping and riding and all kinds of cool stuff. Then partway through the evening, they called all of the kids who were at the rodeo, and there were a lot of them, down to the huge big corral to the big pen, and because they had an activity that they could be a part of, and they could actually turn, have a chance to turn this into a really awesome, cool mountain bike. Now, our cousins went every year, and they had a boy Josh's age, and every year, Josh's aunt would tell her son, this is what you need to do. Listen very carefully to my instructions and I will help you turn a ribbon into a bike. Well, he didn't listen really well and he had his own idea what he wanted to do and every year he would try and it didn't work out and he would get disappointed. But every year she says, listen very carefully first. But he didn't, so this time, Josh's aunt said, Josh, would you listen to me? Because I think I can show you how to turn this into a really cool bike. And he goes, okay, I'll listen. So the deal was all of the kids would come down into the big corral on one side, and then they would get a calf, a small cow. It wasn't just a little one. It was maybe about this big. Uh, there you can see him right there. He's about that big. And they would tie a ribbon right onto his tail. And they would let the calf out at the far end of the, the, the pen. And then all of the kids, when the horn sounded, could run and try to catch him. And whoever could take this ribbon off the tail of the calf would win a bike. How awesome cool is that? Well, so when every year, the kids, when the horn would go, would all go rushing after the cows, and the kids would start way over here at this end of the corral, and the cows would come out here, and they would chase them in one great big herd. It was like the kids were cows themselves, just running and stampeding across the dirt, and they would chase the cows right to the end, but they weren't quite fast enough to catch them, and the cows would run around this way, and then back down, all the way back down to the other end, right where the kids started from. So Josh's aunt said, Josh, listen, when all of the kids run, you just stand right there and you just wait. And that was something Josh's cousin couldn't do very well. He just took off, but he could never catch the calf with the ribbon. So kids are all there, the calf is let out, the horn goes, and they all go rushing off, chasing him down. Sure enough, they all chased him, and the calves came back down on the side, and Josh just stood there. He didn't even move. 
And it kind of looked like he didn't even want to be a part of the activity, but he was listening to what he had been told on how to get the ribbon. And sure enough, he's standing there, all the kids are at the far end, the calf is coming towards him, running down the side of the great big corral, which was maybe about that far away. And, and he's coming faster and closer and faster and closer. And then as he went by, all Josh had to do was step over about one step, reach out his hand, and as the calf came by, the ribbon was sticking up and Josh grabbed it, and he got the ribbon. He was surprised, we were surprised, and he was pretty excited. And then the activity was over, and then the big director of the whole rodeo came out with a brand new bike, really sweet mountain bike, and gave it to Josh as his prize. And, you know, that was because he listened really well. Sometimes, you know, we just have these ideas in our head and things we want to do, and we don't listen while other people are talking. We just talk whatever we want. Listening can be hard, but it's really important. Do you know what? You know how I know listening is so important? Because, well, God gave us one mouth to talk with, but he actually gave us two ears to listen. And that's a good reminder to us that when other people are talking, we should really be listening to them. You know, especially if somebody is, is sad or lonely or maybe they're hurt and, um, and they want to talk to us and tell us things, well then we should be just listening and not just kind of talking and talking and talking over top of them, but listening to what they have to say so that maybe we can help them once we listen to them. You know, God is really, really happy when we listen well. And there's some verses in the Bible. One is in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. It says, a foolish person does not listen. That's right. Well, we don't want to be foolish. These foolish people, they don't even listen. And James chapter 1, verse 19, be quick to listen and slow to speak. How great is that? That we can help other people by listening to them. That's right, you can do that too. And also, if we listen to people who maybe know a little bit more than we do, rather than just all talking and saying, we, we know better, then maybe some really cool stuff um, will happen because we listen so well. Anyways, thank you for listening so good this morning. Have a great day. We will see you next week. call on him for help if they have not believed and how can they believe in one in one they've not yet heard of and how can they hear how can they hear and how can they hear the message of life the message of life and how can they hear the message of life if there's no one there to proclaim it Good morning, Cedar Valley. I'm just going to take a minute here to fix our eyes on that screen because I'm immediately going to go into text. Uh, so we're in this teaching series called Share, which I'll talk about in a moment. And the title, if that's what you want to call it, uh, what we're going to be talking about today is listening before we speak. So let's get to it. This is our anchor verse for the summer let me read it. But how can people 
called on him, who is God, for help if, if they've not yet believed? And how can they believe in one they've not yet heard of? And how can they hear the message of life if there's no one to proclaim it? This has been the anchor verse for our series this summer, which we are calling Share, which has been about sharing the good news of God's love and forgiveness and healing and hope. It emphasizes um, our need to say something. But I'm convinced that the first part of sharing is actually to listen. Or as Dr. John Krauss says of the Village Counseling Podcast, to show up and to shut up. That's a decent podcast, by the way, Village Church Counseling. Um, episodes are super practical, around 15 minutes long, uh, and they cover like a wide range of topics. So I recommend it to you, topics like depression, anxiety, grief, pornography, conflict, stress, pain, parenting, communication, things like that. So I recommend it to you, the Village Church Counseling Podcast. There's an old maxim in teaching that says something like this, the best curriculum you can teach is the question someone is asking. Now that's hard to do in a room of 25 to 30 students to have spontaneous individual learning plans for each student in the room, but it's not impossible to do one-on-one, -on -one, say with a friend or family member or those generally entrusted to our care to listen before speaking. You know, two ears, one mouth, or as Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 15, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I think there's something in that biological ratio, actually, that two ears to one mouth. Something that might say this, that we should least listen twice as much as we do speak. But before we begin to make this a reason to not say something, let me say this, it's not an either or, right? Sharing is about listening and speaking. I just think it needs to be in that order. First to listen and then to speak. Here's why. Because we need to know the longings and the losses of others before we can offer any hope in the gospel story so that it will intersect their lives in relevant and meaningful ways. Listening, then sharing. Or as the author and professor Scott Cormode puts it in his book, Innovative Church, we will eventually want to invite people into the gospel story. But before I can invite a person into a story, I need to understand that person's own story. I must understand what matters to them, what stories define them. Only then will I be able to invite them into a gospel story that gives them hope. Otherwise, and this is key, I am just treating people 
as a stereotype. So two questions for our morning. One, what are we listening for? And then two, how do we listen? So first question, we need to listen to the issues and questions that matter most to the people who are entrusted to our care. Issues like work and money, health and family, things that keep people awake at night. What Dr. Komold calls longing and losses, as I've already referred to them, what we might otherwise call hopes and fears. Questions of purpose and identity and belonging. Questions like, is this all there is? Does anything I do really matter? Is life really worth the hassle, the pain? What do I want to be when I grow up? And this isn't just a question for like teenagers, it's 20-somethings and 30-somethings, maybe in 50-somethings. Who do I want to be? How do I want to be that person? Does anyone really know me? Would people like me if they really knew me? How can I be in community without losing my individuality? And on the flip side of that, how can I be an individual without succumbing to the inevitability of isolation? These are the kinds of questions that we share as human beings. And this is key. The gospel is God's response to our human condition. I love how Dr. Cormode puts it, and I'm quoting now a little bit from that same book. We in the church tend to think that the human condition is simply about the need for forgiveness, as if being forgiven will remove the longings and losses that make being human so complicated. But even after redemption, we live in the interim. We are stuck in this time. We long for the healing of all creation. And we suffer losses because creation remains, for now, tainted with sin. Those longing and losses permeate our lives. They define us. They are what it means to be human. The gospel, he continues, is God's hopeful response to our shared story of longing and loss. And that gospel, that good news, is what turns our common experience into a shared story of hope. Now I'm going to go back to this quote for a second. It's just, it really hit me hard as in a challenge and as maybe a little bit of a rebuke to the first part of it in particular. We in the church tend to think that the human condition is simply about the need for forgiveness. And it is huge. Don't get me wrong. And I don't think Dr. Kormode is saying anything different. As if being, he goes on to say, as if being forgiven will remove the longings and losses that make being human so complicated. But they don't. The other thing we can listen for is anything our friends or family tell themselves that that sounds like a lie or what Dr. Como describes as a distorted mental model, which is a way of seeing and making sense of the world. Whether that distortion is about themselves or about others or about God. So here are some examples of those kinds of distortions as it relates to purpose. 
I'll be happy if, fill in the blank, if I make a lot of money, or if I marry the right person, or if I have children, or if the Canucks ever win the cup. As it relates to identity, how could God love me after all the bad things I've done and continue to do and consistently do, or I'm a Christian because I go to church, or reading my Bible equals discipleship, or I can love my neighbor without knowing anyone who is not like me, or as it relates to belonging. I don't have anywhere I fit in. I'm too different. I'm too weird. Or I don't believe or behave the right way or say the right things to belong to a church. Or God likes insiders better than he likes outsiders anyway. These are all lies people tell themselves inside sometimes and outside the church. So what do we listen for? We listen for the longings and losses of the people who God brings into our lives, entrusted to our care, and any destructive stories they tell themselves about who they are, about others, and about God. So question two is how do we listen? And the short answer is this, with empathy. Okay, so let's go to school on that word. What's empathy? Empathy is feeling with people. It requires me to connect with something in me that has felt what the person in front of me is currently feeling. I don't have to have been in the exact situation as them. I just need to call up and to feel the related emotion. For instance, I may not be a 16-year-old girl who was just dumped by her boyfriend, but I do know what it feels like to set my heart on something only to have it crushed. Or I may not be an 80-year-old husband sitting with his hospitalized wife, but I do know what it feels like to be powerless and terrified and worried. Call up the related emotion and connect. It's that shared feeling between people that creates connection, says Brené Brown. Empathy is different from sympathy. Sympathy is feeling something about someone. It's abstract. It's sort of detached. Empathy, as I've said already, is feeling with that person so it's personal and it's engaged. Those who study empathy identify four component pieces really quickly and if you have to listen to this again by all means to track those four or just look them up online. Those four component pieces for empathy are seeing things from the other's perspective like a breakup for a 16 year old can feel like the end of the world. That's their perspective. See it that way. Secondly, stay out of judgment. I don't get to say that it's silly to care so much about a breakup. Come on! Thirdly, recognize the emotion in the other person. 
So I need to listen and understand, to borrow from Matthew chapter 11, that that 16-year-old is feeling rejected, embarrassed, crushed. And then finally, that fourth piece is to communicate understanding. Because I have felt rejected or embarrassed or crushed at different times for different reasons, I can say, because I've called up that emotion, that's crushing. That hurts. Empathy is a vulnerable choice because you're calling that stuff up. Because I know that I have to connect with something in me that knows what you're feeling to connect with you in that feeling. And that feeling oftentimes is what? It's just, it's just lousy. It's lousy to feel. It's not like I want to connect with my feelings of rejection or embarrassment or hurt or my feelings of powerlessness or terror or anxiety. Like I don't want it. Like no thanks. But the only way to be truly empathetic is to feel the pain with someone. And the connection that makes empathy so powerful requires me to have your pain conjure up my pain. Here's a good measure between, or distinction between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy makes me feel better. But empathy makes the other person feel better. I feel so sorry for them. I'm glad I'm not in their shoes. Whew, relief. That's sympathy. I show up and I shut up and sit and listen and I let their issue or their question upset my stomach and then say, this is really awful. This is tough. That's empathy. Thirdly, empathy invites it doesn't control. It says, tell me more. Not, have I got an answer for you? When I am driven to do something to solve their problem, I lose my ability. I've stopped actually listening at that point, but I certainly lose my ability to understand by virtue of not listening. Dr. Cormode shares a story from his consulting experience that I think actually illustrates the point really well. So here's the story. Most of a church that he consulted with was over 65 years old, but there was a vibrant contingent of younger adults. The church wanted to be more welcoming to younger adults, so they hosted a listening exercise to get at the longings and losses of the people in and around their congregation. One young man reported that he thought what the church counted as important felt out of touch to the people of his age. He gently suggested that some other issues were a regular part of conversations among his age group and might feel not just out of place, but even threatening to the older adults in his congregation. One older woman compassionately asked for an example. So the young man was hesitant but he was encouraged by that older woman to just share. So he took a deep breath and told them that a regular conversation amongst his peers related to gender fluidity. Someone immediately said, without judgment, I'm afraid I don't know what that means. So the young man explained the term and, and why it expressed longing or loss 
Forrest Pierce. But before he could really get started, an elder in the church cut him off. Quoting, that sounds like something that is the culture of this world. There are two worldviews opposing each other, he went on. The kingdom of God and the culture of this world. At first, the young man thought he might get to explain himself after the elder had spoken, but the elder spent the next 15 minutes ranting about how dangerous it was to adopt the culture of this world. So, understandably, the young man gave up. He began by saying there were phrases so threatening that he feared his congregation could not handle them before he could finish explaining what he meant. The elder proved his point. The young man didn't intend to be an advocate for gender fluidity or to oppose it. He was just making a point. He worried that if he invited people his age to visit his congregation and to talk about what kept them awake at night, then the congregation would have such a great need to control the conversation that the congregants would not be able to listen with compassion. Because the elder proved him right, Neither the young man nor any of his friends ever really offered anything substantive to the strategic conversation again. It just wasn't safe, right? Empathy cannot want such control of others. As I've said so far, empathy feels with, it's vulnerable to, and it's not controlling. In fact, empathy should transform us. Think about it. If we allow the longings and losses of others to seep into our souls, then it will call up similar emotions within us. If we identify with their hopes and fears, then we will see things from their perspective. And if we step into their shoes, then we will drop our feelings of moral superiority and we will jettison our judgmental attitudes. And then we will be ready to listen and understand. Let me finish with one more story from Dr. Como. Catherine is a single mom. She feels trapped by the long hours she needs to work, the time it takes to be a good mom and to be a good daughter to her aging parents. She longs to have more God, quote unquote, in her children's lives, but she just can't seem to make it to church. What does Catherine long for? What has she lost? As it happens, Dr. Cormode regularly puts this case study before his students at Fuller Theological Seminary. Interestingly, they often respond with judgment, not empathy. They look at things from the congregation's point of view, not from Catherine's perspective. They blame her for not getting her kids to church but they don't think of any options to offer her for how to make that happen. They want to tell her that good church people bring their kids to church, and they think their job is to motivate Catherine, not to help her. They don't hear her longings or her losses. They don't empathize. They don't hear her fatigue or how much she wants to be a good mom and a great daughter. They miss how hard it is to be a single parent and all the losses of that breakup. They don't hear what keeps her awake at night, that she doesn't have enough money to save for college or retirement 
and she worries about her parents. What does Catherine long for? What has she lost? Let me say this to end. Sharing doesn't end with listening. It begins with listening. Once we have listened with empathy to those who bring God into our lives, or <laughs> who God brings into our lives, we need to figure out how to provide a gospel response to the longings and losses we hear. And that is what we're going to talk about next Sunday. In a moment, we're going to wrap up our teaching time with a little bit of uh, response um, between me and our cameraman today. That's right, John Elliott. Looking forward to that. So stay tuned for that. But for now, I'm going to pray. And as I do, I'll go to this so that you'll know what we'll be talking about after I pray. In closing, let's pray. If I'm being honest, Father, I have to confess that I have room to grow here. You've taught me much on how to listen, and even in this teaching, you've taught me more. And I want to be a better listener. And I thank you that you're working on me and that I'm becoming a better listener. But my prayer is that that would continue to, to grow in me that I would continue to listen well. Listen with empathy to understand people, to hear their hearts, their longings, their losses, their hopes and fears, because I have them too, to join them in our shared humanity so that from my own story, I might be able to share the hope of the gospel as it looks in my life, in my own humanity, and the things that are longings and losses for me. May we be a people, Christians, who are characterized as, wow, those people listen really, really well. And they join me in my hurt, and they give me hope with their story and the story of the gospel, which is for everyone. Good news. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Peace. See you in Valley. See you in a second. Hey, so thanks for staying tuned. This is that part in our service where we're trying to like make it real, uh, where we're giving you a challenge. Uh, there's no real learning unless there's application. So we've heard some things about what to listen for when we're speaking with people and how to listen. But uh, we want to put some shoe leather too by actually practicing that. But before we get to what that might mean for you, for us, you'd said something when we went off air to come back on about what we just learned together. What, what was that? It's like, this is a super important message and it's like, it's a good reminder for everyone and it applies to everyone. Um, yeah, I think empathy is lacking in a lot of places and um, yeah, I think it's important to know that we all should grow in empathy and in listening. And yeah, it's really important. I, I think it's crucial, actually. And I think it's one of the ways that as church, which is to say the people who follow Jesus, we can be a difference, right? Because 
like in your workplace, is there a lot of empathy? Like the people, <laughs> we're not bashing workplaces, okay? Just so we're clear. But out in the world, there's a shortage on empathy. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's really hard to have compassion if you don't have empathy. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, that's such a critical link. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? That was so good. Um, you can't have compassion yeah. if you don't have empathy. Yeah, I did write a little bit. Oh, you got, oh, yeah. Yeah, right on, um, go ahead. Yeah, it's, you said it really well with like, um, provide a gospel response. And I think that's mm. important to share a gospel response and not your own, mm -hmm. that like, often won't include the gospel or compassion or empathy especially. So, yeah, it's, yeah, you're talking about like the elder like ranting and stuff and it's like, you share God's love, not your own personal beliefs and perspectives because that doesn't allow empathy to be present. Yeah, yeah, I, as I think, I'll, I'll speak for me, my human nature is, and we can talk about male versus female, although I don't think that's particularly useful in this case, I like to problem solve. Like when I hear someone say, oh, this is so difficult. Okay, let's, but what that does is it actually covers over the hurt as if the hurt underneath wasn't really important. We're gonna, because I think what we tell ourselves is, if I just give you a solution, the pain will go away. That's, that's ridiculous. Ask anyone who's lost someone recently and they'll tell you, the pain is ebbing regularly. Not for an hour, not for, a day, for days and weeks. And I think it's really important to listen and be empathetic to drive the compassion towards, oh yeah, this is really, this is tough. I don't know what to say. And I'm sure not gonna offer you some kind of off the cuff, you know, just choose joy. Um, you know, gotta work out things for those who are called according to his purpose. And I'm not, that sounds like I'm being glib and disrespectful to the word, but I think we have to enter the empathetic space to say that really hurts. Down the, yeah. down, down the road in that conversation, which we'll talk about next week a little bit, we can say, this is what it's looked like for me. This is where I draw hope. I don't know if that's helpful to you. Um, what, do you what do you think? Yeah. Um, yeah. It is like, I feel like problem solving can be like a little bit dangerous because it's mm. like if someone's like, it treats more of feelings of like longing and loss as like a problem to solve where it's, that's not the case. Like if someone's grieving and they're sad, their sadness isn't like a problem. Like it's not something you fix. It's like something you have to, like it's not a problem to fix. It's like something to work through and. Together. Yeah. Right? It's the story of Job, isn't it? Like his friends had it so right when they just sat there like, Ugh. Then he started to offer up all kinds of solutions. Well, that's be sin in your life. That was the basic solution, right? Well, there must, some, this is hap, this is bad. This is, you're being punished for something. Like, <laughs> meanwhile, that wasn't actually what was happening. So yeah, I think, I think we can actually do some damage to people when we offer solutions way too early. And maybe, maybe solutions isn't even what we offer. Uh, maybe we just offer hope. And this is how it, we experience it. And, 
can I invite you to maybe considering that, that kind of thing, does that make sense? Yeah, and like, yeah, listening is so important and it is a vulnerable choice, like empathy, but it's a really important choice to make. And again, that ties in with like having compassion, and making that vulnerable choice portrays compassion and yeah. Dude, uh, yeah, exactly. So maybe to practice this, because I, I like to get really super granular on these things. Sit with someone that you know well and practice active listening, some counselors call it. And that is simply to hear the other person and don't interpret, don't try to solve the problem, but to say, hey, this is what I'm hearing, is that right? And, and enter into it might be joyous, might be hard to hear, but to sit with them and don't say anything, maybe pray with them at the end, something like that. But that, that would be my encouragement, to practice that empathetic listening, and those are the kind of first steps. Thanks for tuning in, Cedar Valley. Uh, we'll see you again next week where we'll talk about how to talk about things sensitively after we've listened empathetically. God bless.